Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 51 of the Camino Voice. On this episode, I get to speak to the board of directors for Hope Unlimited. Please welcome Joel Johnson, Norma Mouton, and Linda Burig. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak to the board of directors, or, yeah, board of directors of Hope Unlimited. Uh, so the Joel Johnson Norma Mouton and Linda Burig, um, all of whom work for Hope Unlimited. And they actually reached out to me because they wanted to get their message out of what they do, what Hope Unlimited does, and bring awareness to the cause that they're fighting for. So um, they reached out to me. It's also my first three-person interview, so that was something we were trying to get used to. And you'll also notice that my voice is somewhat muffled throughout. Um, I was talking with a mask on because there was more than... Um, one of us, one-on-one, and, and there wasn't ample distancing available. Um, so I, we were all talking with masks on, so you'll notice that mine's a little muffled, so just turn the volume up a little bit on that. Um, but anyways, getting back to the, the podcast, so Hope Unlimited, what they do is this branch of them uh, works on abolishing modern-day uh, slave trade, and, and uh, so modern-day slavery as well as uh, human trafficking, um, and, and things like that. So that's what their main focus is. And it's a, it's a really, it's an interesting subject. It's, it's also one of those subjects that you don't hear a lot of people talk about, um, despite I-5 being a very uh, prevalent uh, in the human trafficking because it's, it's linked to do two different borders. Um, it's easy access both ways. Um, so it's something that we should be aware of, especially for our kids and um, even way out here on Kameno, it's something that we should be aware of. So they, they really do a good job at, at you know, educating people. Um, so we get into all that and more. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the uh, Board of Directors of Hope Unlimited. There we go. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kameno Voice. On this episode, I've got the Executive Director, Joel Johnson, Administrative Director, Dr. Norma Mouton, and training director, Linda Boering of Hope Unlimited. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. All right. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Joel. Uh, not really much to tell. <laughs> no, I, I was born and raised on a farm in Illinois. Uh, I met my beautiful wife, who is from Arlington, Washington. And uh, uh, we, we lived in Missouri. We lived in Utah. But we ended up back up here in the, in the area. We've got a six-year-old daughter. Her name's Jalen, and uh, yeah, we just we just love the Pacific Northwest, and uh, yeah, just having a blast out here. Um, had the pleasure of of serving as the executive director of Hope Unlimited for the last couple of years, and uh, we're just excited about all the opportunities how we get to serve the community. Very cool. And and as far as just so listeners know, what's your uh other work as well. So, uh, so I have the again the pleasure, and this this is a new position for me as well. I'm a training captain for a couple of fire departments up the Stillaguamish Valley, uh, Oso and Darrington Fire, and uh, it, it just works really well hand in hand with the work that we're doing with Hope Unlimited too. Okay, so. very cool. All right, Norma. I'm Norma Mouton, and um, I started with Hope Unlimited um, a couple of years ago now, and. My work was really meshed in because I was a high school teacher for a long time. Okay. Five years, I taught high school in Texas. And at the time, I didn't have any idea that I would be involved with anti-human trafficking. But here we are. Mm -hmm. And it's all good, believe me. Very cool. All right, and Linda? So I have been a Camino Island resident for about 25 years and really began meeting my community neighbors since retirement in 2015. As with my career in federal service and the military, I traveled a lot, so that's what brings me to our work now. Very cool. 
All right. So before we get started, uh, Joel, can you give us a brief overview of Hope Unlimited? Sure. Uh, Hope Unlimited is a is a local nonprofit organization that serves Stanwood, Camino, into Arlington. Um, we were established uh, about 22 years ago now, and um, we started off by serving the community. The main thing that we did uh, for the longest time is we uh, serve as first responder chaplains for our fire, our, our police, our law enforcement, EMS, and then we also cover Cascade Valley Hospital in Arlington as well. And essentially, it's just coming alongside people who are experiencing some sort of tragic event, um, and we come alongside them and help them uh, navigate those things. Unfortunately, it, it oftentimes involves around the death of a, of a loved one or or, you know, a, you know, kind of a catastrophic, tough, tragic event, and we just help provide kind of uh, emotional, psychological, uh, spiritual first aid to people that are experiencing a tough time. And so uh, we've been doing that for, for, like I said, about 20 years. And uh, just a couple years ago, um, actually about two and a half years ago now, we launched our anti-human trafficking initiative, which kind of came to a surprise to some people, especially as we introduced it, because they think that's not really an issue uh, here, um, but unfortunately, it's an issue that that has reached our community, and it's it's established itself in all fifty states. And so, uh, we felt there was a need, and after a lot of consideration and planning, we decided we wanted to really focus on the awareness uh, and education and prevention on the matter. And so, that's kind of what we've been doing. So, we're uh, we've had some other community programs in and out, but those are the two community programs that we focus on now. Okay, very cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And Joel, what, what is your kind of background? You mentioned a little bit of where you're from, but how did, uh, how did you get to where you are now? Sure. So um, I started with Hope Unlimited uh, a little, about eight and a half years ago now as uh, I was approached about considering being a chaplain. And so I volunteered as a chaplain for several years. Um, really where I, I really kind of got into it uh, full time was I was the uh, first responding chaplain to the Oso Mudslide. And uh, after doing, uh, being a part of that for oh, about two months, um, the opportunities uh, came for me to continue that work in a full-time position. And uh, so started with Hope Unlimited. And then our founder who founded, his name's Ralph Fry, he and his wife, Leanne, founded uh, Hope Unlimited. Uh, he was looking at retiring and uh, kind of long story short, he asked if I'd consider taking over the executive director position. And uh, I was I was very uh, humbled and uh, by that request, but uh, honored to to do that to try and continue our work. And so yeah, so I come from like a farming background, different things like that. But I've been a, a chaplain and a first responder for for a while now. And uh, so that's kind of my background into and getting connected with Hope Unlimited. It's a, it's a great organization that I love uh, being a part of and and really appreciate just our whole team and everything they do for the community. Yeah, and. And you were saying, um, so you started in Illinois, right? Yeah, I was. I was born and raised on a on a farm. My family farm still running uh, in Illinois, and uh, yeah, met a met a pretty girl from Arlington. So that's how I got connected to the Pacific Northwest. Very cool. How did you guys end up meeting if you were way out there? <laughs> yeah, we both. We good question. We both. Uh, we both went to the same college in Missouri. Small okay. a small private school that actually doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so my. Uh, my diploma doesn't mean much, <laughs> but uh, but that's where we met, and um, and like we uh, spent uh, we worked in Utah for a, about five years, and then ended up back up here um, uh, closer. We had some job opportunities, and uh, were able to uh, be closer to her side of the family for sure. Got it. What what brought you guys to Utah? Uh, Utah, we uh, we were actually uh, uh, missionaries uh, that helped plant churches. Um, in the Utah Valley. And so basically there were people that wanted to start churches and our background and training, we were able to come alongside and help them, uh, you know, with, uh, with the nonprofit status, with the business side of things to really get things up and running. And so uh, we helped uh, four different churches in five years get up uh, okay. off, off the ground. So Very cool. Yeah. And then what, what brought you guys back up to Oso then? Um, her, uh, her church that she grew up in, Arlington Assembly, um, reached out to us and asked if we would uh, help them kind of uh, do some of the same thing here in Arlington. Uh, their church was experiencing some change and growth and different things like that, and they asked if we'd come consider coming on staff to help them. And so we did that um, for five years uh, up until uh, I was able to uh, transition and take this position uh, of executive director. Okay. 
So then, so you've had some church planning background stuff. How did you end up with a uh, training captain with the fire? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, that's a great question. So um, I had, I had uh, you know, done different volunteering uh, things and been connected to first responders, uh, military, uh, from family and different things. So it, it wasn't anything I was unfamiliar with, but uh, with the, the whole Oso slide, that was really where life kind of changed mm-hmm. uh, trajectory for me. And so pretty much all at the same time, I was able to, you know, become an EMT, become a firefighter, uh, continuing my chaplain work. And it's pretty much, that's been the, the focus and direction as far as, as career and work okay. since then. Got it. Very cool. All right, Norma, we're going to switch to you. What's, what's okay. kind of your background? Where did you start? I, um, I started out as a teacher. Okay. And I taught Spanish. Oh, very cool. Yes. So that's my degree. Uh, it's in Spanish. And from that, I decided that teaching about anti-human trafficking was really a lot more relevant. Mm-hmm. Because of the, na- the nature of the beast, um, human trafficking is something that really affects everyone or can affect everyone it is doesn't discriminate as to race or color or anything and so we really need to be more aware so that's how i got into this line of work okay and you you said you were from texas originally originally from texas moved here about eight years ago okay and uh love it yeah absolutely love it (laughs) very cool so did you um did you uh, which part of Texas are you from then? I was uh, I moved here from Houston, but I was born and raised in San Antonio. Okay, very cool. What? Uh, <clears throat> so did you go to college and everything through in Texas then? I went to college. Yes, I got my degree. My first degree was um, a BA in Spanish from the University of Texas at Austin. Okay. And then I got my uh, master's at St. Thomas University in Houston and my PhD at uh, the University of Houston. All right. And were you, were you always planning to go into Spanish as teaching, or were you looking no. at other... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was curious. No, not really. I had started out with poli-sci. Okay. And uh, that was kind of... Well, it was difficult because people wanted me to be a lawyer, and I didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> Why, so, why did people want you to be a lawyer? Well, because they thought that, first of all, that they could capitalize on my Latino nature. Okay. Because I am a Latina, and so, you know, that's what they thought they could exploit. Okay. And I didn't want to be exploited. Right. So, <laughs> so I said, no, yep. I'm not going there. And I think it was better in the long run. Mm-hmm. I got more support. I think from being a teacher than I did from going the other route of lawyer. Yeah. 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 Very cool. And so what did you teach? Like you taught Spanish, but did you, you taught in high school? Did you teach I taught at college too. Okay. I taught in college as, and started in high school and then went into teaching college. So that was it. Got it. And how long were you doing teaching then? I did. Um, I taught for a total of about seven years. Okay. Before moving here. Okay. And what brought you up here? Well, my husband. Okay. <laughs> Spouse is a funny way of bringing you places. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, kind, kind of. Uh-huh. Um, he had worked up here years ago in the oil industry mm-hmm. uh, selling chemicals. Okay. He's a chemical engineer. Okay. So he moved up here in the, I think, in the early 70s or mid-70s, and... Um, he sold chemicals through a company called Roman Haas okay. out of Portland. Okay. And so he was very familiar with Pacific Northwest, and we honeymooned up here. Oh, very nice. When we did get married. So that was kind of my history with the Northwest up until then. Okay. And uh, later we went to Libya. We okay. lived in Libya. I've how, traveled all over the world. How long did you live over in Libya? A total of about three years. Okay. And uh, we lived in Malaysia, a total of about nine years. Oh, wow. Okay. And so we've lived kind of all over the world. And what what took you to Libya and Malaysia? My husband. 
Okay. <laughs> with the oil work yeah, industry? With, okay. with the oil industry, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of my background. Okay. Traveling the world. Yeah. <laughs> and what, so while your husband was working there, um, did you have kids or what were you guys, what were you doing during there? Did you work there? Um, I had one child. He's now grown, 36 years old. Okay. Living in Denver. Okay. And so, you know, that's kind of me. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, when I worked, when I did work, it was really just casual labor because I was teaching art. Okay. So I'm also a watercolorist. Got it. Very cool. Nice. All right, Linda, tell us about you. Okay, Brandon, that's kind of complicated. <laughs> so at first I just wanted to explain what a special agent, which is what I did in the federal government, what they do. He or she is usually an investigator or a detective for a federal government who primarily serves in criminal investigatory positions. Additionally, many special agents operate in criminal intelligence-based roles as well. So that's the capacity, and it just gets worse. <laughs> so. Oh, very cool. Okay, so um, where did you grow up then? So I grew up in California. Um, and then I kind of went through high school and college and then decided on my career in 1993 with the Immigration and Naturalization Service as a special agent. Um, and in 1995, I attended the Federal Law Enforcement Academy to, be, to begin my career. And just basically, I, I faced a particular set of challenges given the history of my entry into the profession low rates of participation, and the complex identities exchanged in the workplace. Women who work in law enforcement have struggled for years to gain acceptance in the workplace. Some of the big, biggest challenges are the lack of representation stereotypes around women and intersectionality. So that's pretty much what I faced going on into the career of my early years. Okay. So what, what was kind of your reasoning for going into that, that line of work then? Well, because I wanted to make a difference, mm -hmm. and, you know, I saw so many injustices, besides what's going on now, those were, those were the same things going on years ago, yeah. and I wanted to be able to have a voice from, you know, gender voice and otherwise, and making a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you got started with your, um, did, so you, you graduated high school, and then did you go directly into that training? Nope. Okay. I, was, I went into journalism first, and then I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's good, but it's not going to keep my, so not until later in life, because I went into business and other aspects, and then I decided about 1993 that I wanted something more challenging, so I, that's when I looked into law enforcement. Okay. And what, what ended up drawing you um, specifically to Special Forces versus taking the standard law enforcement? Well, law? I have also been, I, so I'm also retired from the Air Force. Okay. Um, so that was sort of my leaning thing because I've done a lot of investigative work there. And I really wanted to make a difference in many things. At that time, I didn't know that was human trafficking or anything. But... Um, you know, as you begin to take a stand, you begin to see how you can make a difference. And as a female in law enforcement, way back then, um, it was easier to take a stand if you took things on that no one else wanted to do. So that's what I started with in my career, which eventually evolved into many other things. Okay. So how long were you in Special Forces then? Um, so... Um, I was one of the first females promoted to the rank of supervisory special agent within the Department of Homeland Security. I retired in 2015 after 32 years of federal wow. service. In that capacity, I had oversight of the Human Trafficking Unit in Seattle, serving as the primary trainer for law enforcement and service personnel in human trafficking in the area, you know, in the states of Washington, Oregon, Alaska, and Idaho. Um, so my supervisory oversight was for criminal investigations by personnel, 
um, including investigations with human trafficking and complex victim, wish, victim witness issues. Um, and then ending that, I also retired from, as a senior non-commissioned officer with the Air Force after 24 years of service. So that's what brings me present day to being the tra anti-human trafficking director for Hope Unlimited. Um, and my duties really um, are broad, but are to lead, plan, and develop our training programs to build community awareness, provide educational programs for youth, parents, and teachers to prevent modern-day slavery. And I think it's a really good position for me to be in because I came from the law enforcement side, which prosecuted, yeah. and now I'm on the advocacy side, which promotes prevention and that's a really good place to be right now. Yeah, very cool. All right, so I know you guys have all touched on a little bit, but I want to get a little bit deeper into, um, starting with Joel, how did you get connected with Hope Unlimited, and um, what kind of brought you into it? Yeah, so um, essentially how I got connected to Hope Unlimited directly is uh, I, I attend a church, Arlington Assembly. We had a former board member that was there that had was serving with Hope Unlimited as a chaplain. And um, after some conversations and different things like that, he invited me uh, to, to come check it out and to see if I'd consider, uh, consider first responder chaplaincy. And, and it didn't take too long for me to realize that this is something that would be a lot of fun to do. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult work. It's fun work, but just uh, it can be fun at the same time. And I just fell in love with Hope Unlimited and, and the people that were, um, you know, volunteering and serving the community. And, and it's, it's really... It's just, it's just been no looking back after that point. Yeah. Very cool. All right. And uh, Norma? Okay. So um, actually, Linda saw an article about Hope Unlimited starting an anti-human trafficking initiative, which is what we're called. Okay. And um, she saw that in the, I think it was in the Stanwood Camino News. Okay. And so we decided that we would go and check it out. And that's how we got involved. Okay. Linda, do you want to add something? Well, that was the bare beginnings, but then, um, Brandon, you wanted to ask about how does Hope Unlimited have to do with abolishing modern-day slavery? Mm -hmm. um, the primary focus of our anti-human trafficking initiative is to provide educational programs for youth. After being in law enforcement for 32 years, the answer to me is really in prevention, and that, start with, that starts with youth in, at the earliest age. As we know through our work, predators are, are looking at targets as young as five years, old or younger. So, that's kind of what made us focus more on youth as a, as a source of prevention because I know when you prosecute these predators, we're doing it at, at the other end. Mm -hmm. yeah. So prevention is at the beginning. So why not work with youth to prevent and give them the skills necessary to deal with those things before because by the time we've had to prosecute that, it's too late. But because the trauma and the victims and everything that falls after that yeah. is a lot more. Right. And so we've understood that. And that's how we're sort of building our programs now. All right. Um, <clears throat> so then just going back just a little bit. Um, so I know we've talked about that Hope Unlimited got started as a first responder chaplain's um, how did it kind of evolve from there? Like, well, I guess, I, how did it end up choosing modern-day slavery, abolishing that, and trying to, um, yeah, abolish that? Right. Um, from being a first responder chaplain's organization. Uh, yeah, great question. So obviously, with our work with first uh, first responder organizations, law enforcement, different things like that, we're we become, you know, we, we work right alongside them. So we kind of become privy to the fact that this is actually something that's happening in our area. Um, where it really kind of got started is, um, for me personally, was I, I had an opportunity uh, to uh, travel to Cambodia uh, for, for kind of an extended trip, um, have uh, uh, some, uh, some connections there and went and checked it out. And I was actually able to be involved in 
uh, what would later be uh, the beginnings of a sting operation into uh, some human trafficking. Um, and so with that, I just, I never even knew about it. I didn't know it existed. Um, and just to kind of see uh, this happening to young people in Cambodia, it, it, it's something that really stirred me and affected me to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after uh, our founder for Hope Unlimited, Ralph and I started talking, I just felt impressed that maybe this is something that we could do. Um, one thing about Hope Unlimited is we've always wanted to try to um, just serve where there's a need and uh, kind of be, uh, be in a position to be adaptive. Like I've said, we've, we've, done, some, uh, we've done some work helping uh, people in marriages. We've done some work um, uh, helping uh, single parent families. And, and, you know, we've basically tried to do those things as there was a need or until some other um, process or organization come in and help that. Uh, what we were seeing is there was just a glaring, um, a glaring uh, hole or gap of help in this area, and uh, you know, as Linda said, this is this is an issue that affects, or I, and I think Norma said it too. This is an issue that can potentially affect anyone. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter really about anywhere where you're at in life. It has the ability to to be connected to you somehow, some way, and so. Uh, we just started talking about that and had the opportunity to sit down and do an interview with uh, with Stanwood Camano News and and asked about future plans and I just it just kind of came out. I mean, we had talked about it, but nothing officially, and so that's <laughs> so it just it just kind of came out and they went with it and 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 I'm glad they did because it was it wasn't too long after that that I got contacted by these ladies. I believe I had a I had a call from uh, from Norma and uh, and that's just kind of how it got started. Um, it was knowing that there's a need and really trying to figure out, uh, you know, one thing I'd like to add, there, are, there is work in anti-human trafficking happening in our area. There are a lot of great organizations. Uh, a lot of them focus on, uh, as Linda kind of put it, it kind of is on the aftermath of it, whether it's, you know, helping people kind of navigate through it, get their lives back, uh, you know, from, from counseling to resources to different things like that. But they're really... Uh, there really is not a ton focused just on the prevention side. And so yeah. our, so from the very early stages of this, our kind of unofficial mantra that we've been kind of just marching to is that we want to reach our kids before we have to rescue them. We want to reach our families before we have to worry about um, the, the ill effects of this happening on anyone. As, as Linda said, if, if you get to the process, you know, the prosecution of this, unfortunately, the damage has already been done. Yes, you can have people... Uh, pay the consequences for their actions and try to somehow, some way have restitution for that. But in our mind, we would love for our, for our families, our parents, our, our community leaders, all the way down to our children, to our students, just make wise decisions in what they do to make sure that they don't end up inadvertently making a choice to send them down this kind of deep, dark path. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. So one one of the things that um, we haven't actually fully clear uh, clearly defined is, um, per, uh, in particular, which type of modern day slavery are we referring to and and discussing? Well, yeah, good. Uh, it's really mod- uh, modern day slavery covers a gamut of things. We focus on the human trafficking sort of things, and that can look and I, and I'll let uh, the ladies explain a little bit more. But that kind of a couple of the main components are basically using people for commercial gain. And that could be through forced labor. That could be through, uh, you know, sexual uh, labor. That could be just a host of things. But essentially, that's what human trafficking is. is it's, it's kind of a bait and switch, and it, and it uses people as, as labor or as a commodity, uh, you know, for, for ill-gotten gain in a, in a commercial sense. Okay. Right. Um, we refer to it often as commercial sex, sexual exploitation of children. So commercial sexual exploitation of children is CSEC, and that's our little acronym for it. Lots of those. Right. There are a lot of acronyms out there. Another one is um, commercial sexual abuse of minors, and that's the state's term. It's called CSAM. So uh, those two terms are important in defining what we do. Because like Joel said, we'd look at both labor and sexual exploitation. 
So those are the two areas that we're primarily involved with. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there a side that is more prevalent in this area? It uh, really depends on where you're looking because sexual exploitation of children is one of the most prevalent. It's the most spoken about in the news. Mm -hmm. But we also have labor trafficking that's through the farms and the industries around us. Okay. So we need to be aware of both. Yeah. And that's why we try to handle both of them. Okay. So uh, just, and this is, a lot of this I'm, I'm either new to or very uneducated in. How does this differ then for um, workers that have come up and, I guess, immigrated here for work versus, like, how would, I guess, what's, where's the definition, where's the split there of people that have come here of their own fruition coming here for work versus the people that have been trafficked here? Does that make sense? I'll let Linda address that. Okay. <laughs> so I think that answer ends in, um, in exploitation because whether they come here to work from any other country or whether they live here domestically and they succumb to either sex trafficking or labor trafficking, mm -hmm. um, it's something they're lured into. And it could be by the employer, as in labor trafficking, mm -hmm. or it could be through other means, um, through sexual exploitation of of children or of, because predators, predators go where children play. Yeah. And, and the, the internet is a huge playground for all of that. Mm -hmm. And we don't have much control over that because <clears throat> it involves more cyber areas within other countries or domestically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the best thing in, you know, on the prevention side is to look at at the very lowest level, if we can reach community awareness, um, what is that? Yeah. And I think that is parents, teachers, um, law enforcement, and all organizations that have a hand in that. Because right now, during this pandemic, mm -hmm. we're looking at things we've never looked at before. We're yeah. looking at social isolation isolation yep. from others. They can't go to school, and that's what kids build on. Yeah. They're, like, socially connected, and as long as they're doing that, they're not going to be much else interested in, in other things, although it may lead them there, too. But right now, the social isolation is setting up a social pandemic, which we have yet to know what that means until we come out of this at some point. Yeah. Because they're connected to their, their devices and social networking, and parents don't know who's on the other side of that. Right. So do you want me to go into just sort of an example of what that means? Yeah, yeah. So we sent out an article a few, about a few weeks back that talked about what that looks like for parents. And so I asked the question every time... I explain this, and it's as simple as this. So we start out by saying, would you let your child walk down a dark alley alone? Well, that is the same thing when your child is on the Internet. Mm -hmm. During these times of uncertainty, and of course now, um, many youths are walking down a dark alley alone, and they do not know who is waiting for them on the other side. It is because they're isolated from friends socially, and that they have no connection and the outlet to social networking is through their devices. So we don't know what the end result's gonna be because we don't know who everybody's in connect, you know, connecting with. Mm -hmm. So we, we tend to worry about how this is gonna come out and what the vulnerabilities to our youth will be. And I believe it will cause a social pandemic for youth as we have never seen before, simply because of social isolation giving rise to things like domestic violence and other crimes of desperation. Mm -hmm. So it really goes back to the basics. Like I've been in law enforcement, I've been in the military. And any time we don't know, if I don't know how to control things, I always go back to the basics. So the basics in community start with parents. Mm -hmm. and then build to the school and keep going from that. So that's what we're trying to reach, 
And right now, it's hard because we're isolated from all those things, and no one's teaching in the schools, yeah. which is what we were normally doing. But there's a lot of opportunities through getting the message to our kids, whether it's through the teachers on online or it's, or it's things that we do. And thank you for hosting this because that's a huge message to the community. Mm -hmm. And... It just takes, you know, a couple of words for people to think about what that means. And it means something different to all of us. And I don't think we need to understand the definition, but, is, but understand the meaning. Mm -hmm. If this influences and causes my kid to do this and that's the end result, I never even want them to get there, right? Right. So we're just trying to give tips, you know, through social networking and other on online activities and things that we can promote in the community mm -hmm. that looks much different now than it did when we were starting our program yeah when we did our program we had connections in the school we were making progress we were doing you know presentations and we were reaching out to kids and that looks really different now right. yeah. and it's the same way for parents right it looks different now and you got to look at it differently and it doesn't make sense the same way it did then so we put out, um, we're putting out a media series on social networking and looking for tips. We started it about a month ago, and we'll continue that through however long we need to. Mm -hmm. We're also going to do short, like, uh, videos for parents, like, through Zoom for 10 minutes or so that this is what it looks like. These are some resources you can reach out to. And I think that just keeps people thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and that's the if that's the best we can do, that protects kids in in, in some respect. Yeah. Um, and you know maybe they'll talk about it amongst themselves, but that's a very important message, and that's really what we want to do to keep kids safe at this point. Right. Yeah, and that's that's actually something um, <clears throat> that we've been very um, as, as parents we've been aware of that side of things because we grew up, you know, my wife and I, um, you know, until we were 18, didn't, it wasn't normal for everyone to have a cell phone, right? So <laughs> by the time we were out of college, it was starting to get more regular of like most people had cell phones. Um, and so that's when we were introduced them and then we started using them more frequently. But um, we're, we know, we grew up enough with them that we understand that there's this unlimited gate of information right. and connections that you right. have there. Right. Um, you know, for us, it kind of started with like the instant messengers and things like that. Um, but of course, those things were, I mean, there was the open chat rooms, but a lot of them were by invite. Right. Um, but now you go on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, any of these social medias, Twitter, um, you don't have to have any gateway. Um, and your kids are exposed to anyone and everyone that wants to interact with them. Right. And, um, you know, we've taken stands on different things of how we've interacted and allowed our, uh, even family pictures, things like that. How do we do posts of that nature, um, pictures of kids, stuff like that. Like, we're aware of where, how we're posting, who we're posting to, and um, trying to be careful about that. And, um, but, yeah. That's, that's good. I was going to say, uh, you're, you're already right on the right track. And that's what you're saying is basically one of the big messages we're trying to, to put out there is that, you know, you're, you're right. The internet inherently isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, it's actually a really good thing. It keeps us connected. It's a, it's just an un, almost unlimited source of information. Uh, you know, there, there's real potential that in just the next, you know, couple of years, you know, especially, you know, when you get people like Elon Musk, who, who's potentially going to launch a service that's going to give the entire world access to internet and different yeah. things like that. I mean, that's kind of an exciting thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but as Linda was pointing out, you know, unfortunately, some of our social isolation is only going to get worse the more we get connected online. And, you know, not a lot of p people stop to think that, you know, if we've got six and a half billion people on this world, well, we can be connected to six and a half billion people. Yeah. But we also have to be careful because there's six and a half billion people that could potentially be connected to us, to our right. children. And, and like you said, Social media, online gaming, all those things, they're fun. They're, they're a creative outlet. It's a way to stay connected. We just simply want to tell people to be smart about right. and, and just be conscious of the fact that 
as much good as there is out there, there are people who will want to take advantage of those connections. And um, the, the perfect case in point of, of a, this is a story that actually, this is local, this is, you know, this is true. I won't go into details just, you know, to, to protect some of the identity, but we did a, um, a community event uh, last year where we talked about specifically this idea of, you know, the online presence and influence and everything like that. We had a, a young person from the area who, after listening to the presentation, confided in their, in, to, to the parents that they were like this close, like with, within, uh, you know, just a day or two of making a decision where they were going to travel out of state they were going to steal a credit card. They were going to purchase a bus ticket and, and, and go away to be with their, for lack of a better term, uh, online love interest. And after they were received some of this information, realized maybe, maybe the person on the other end of this thing that I have not met, that I may not have even seen a real picture of or different things like that, maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. And, and we may never know if if that's actually true or not, but most, unfortunately, most of those instances, there's somebody on the other line or on the other end of that line or the other end of that computer screen that wants nothing more than just to grab hold of this young person because they can turn around and use them as a commodity. Yeah. And so the, the, the short end of that, you know, the short of that story is, is they, that opened up a dialogue and potentially prevented, which is our whole thing, right. uh, this family having to go through a catastrophic experience. Right. And so to, to think, you know, you know, I just don't, and I, I get this all the time, and I know these ladies do too, like, oh, I didn't realize that that was a thing here. Like, I live on Camano Island, like, this is, this is, this is paradise out here, you know, we don't, we don't really have to deal with that kind of stuff. Or I live in Stanwood, or I, you know, wherever. Unfortunately, whether, whether it's internet or just, you know, social interactions or whatever, it, it can really set it up and, and. And like Linda said, there's this whole idea of, of predators are out there. They're they're good. They're slick. They're groomed, and and that's exactly what they do. Is they will groom people to get them to just make that one decision that can end up affecting their lives for right. for you know forever. And and so so we that that's just one story of this young person. We actually you know I could tell you a couple three more, but that's essentially the same thing. They were gonna they were getting ready to make that decision of going away, leaving the safety of their family, but because they got, they heard the message, they thought twice about it. But our, you know, our heart's desires, we want everybody to hear that. And yeah. we, and then even a step further, we want to see parents, we want to see teachers, we want to see pastors, we want to see, uh, you know, civic leaders being okay of asking our young people, are you okay? Are you making good choices? And, and, and for lack of a better term, almost taking back the right to, to help keep our kids safe. You know, we, right. a lot of times we don't want to overstep or we don't want to, what, there's, there's that whole dance with parenting or, or leading yeah. or that sort of thing, but but you know just because it's it's so accessible, we should be putting things in place to keep keep our kids safe. And and those are just a couple of examples, but it, it really happens, and it can happen yeah. no matter where you live. Yeah. Well, and I've heard that the I five I five, but like Mount Vernon, actually Burlington has a, a hot spot for a lot of traffic. The whole I five corridor. Okay. The entirety of the I-5 corridor, which runs from California yep. all the way north mm -hmm. to the border, yeah, yep. it's a hot spot. Yeah, yeah, we're and we're prime position, as Norma said. Yes. We we have close accessibility to ports. We have close accessibility to an international border. We have close accessibility to a main artery that takes you all the way down to another international border, and. Um, there's just, there's just quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and, and that's one thing too. It's like, well, I don't really see much about this. It's such a hidden behind the scenes crime that we may never have real true statistics on, on who's affected. I mean, it can be estimated that up to 300,000 kids in the United States are caught up in, in human trafficking, but these ladies can elaborate more and Norma, especially or, uh, Norma with her teaching background and Linda with her law enforcement background, they'll tell you that those are probably very skewed. Um, and it's probably more than that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, the corridor, you know, when you have interstate commerce and other things, of course, the I-5 corridor is vulnerable. But, you know, I think it's more simpler than that. I think that parents and connecting with the community just need to see the best way to safeguard their children online 
And um, so that could be as simple as setting parent controls on monitoring devices, reducing the risk to the online world, or teaching them good skills like critical thinking and boundaries, and convince them that, you know, you're doing all this and you're, you're overseeing this, but you really want to do that without judgment because you're trying to protect them. Mm -hmm. So it's really about keeping kids safe and giving them skills to protect themselves, you know, without you having to do that for you. And when you can't, even kids as young as four or five years old, if you tell them no, and this isn't something, and they're connected to devices, um, the the earlier you instill that in their own beliefs, yeah, the more they understand what that means. Right. Um, because you don't want to have to constantly explain, because when you constantly explain things that happen, even if it's through the media, you confuse them more, but they just need to know what's the basis for what I need to know and how do I protect them best. So right. that's really what we're trying to do. We don't try to complicate it. It is complicated. <laughs> um, but when you give kids a choice and they protect themselves, that makes it easier for everyone. Right. So you asked about what we teach here. Yeah. Uh, what we teach is basically how to make a good relationship, how to build a good relationship. Mm -hmm. So we teach them the difference between people who are supportive of their positions as children and people who just want to exploit them. So that's basically what we're trying to teach. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, because the schools have closed, we're not able to go into the schools at this point. Yeah. And so we're considering doing some of these things online. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to build that portfolio of online material. Yeah. Very cool. Um, all right. Um, so <clears throat> I know we've touched on this a little bit, but um, what are some like things that parents should be aware of and how should they, um, you know, what are, what are kind of some of the tips that you guys tell parents that are, you know, have kids of any age really? Okay. Um, kids need to know that their parents love them and support them. They need to understand that at the very basic level. And they need to know who they can turn to if it's not their parents. And in some cases, it's not their parents. They, their parents can be abusers. Their parents can be uh, involved with domestic violence. And so in those cases, it makes it even harder mm -hmm. because those children don't really know who to turn to. And this is something of what we try to teach in the program that we've established and we work with. Yeah. So um, these are the areas that children need to be reassured in. Mm -hmm. Did you want to add anything, Linda? Well, I just wanted to speak a little bit about the programs that we, we promote in the schools. And that program is a national program called I Empathize. And I Empathize teaches children... Um, about empathy, because that's a hard thing. We know about sympathy, we sort of know about apathy, but offering empathy is really hard. Yeah. And when you can make that breakthrough with children, and we have a whole curriculum that covers this, and that's what we've been successful with from middle school to high school. Um, but it really needs to start earlier than that. And we have other curriculum that hasn't really been accepted or developed very much through the domestic United States. It has in other countries. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the breakthrough is just in the local area, and we've just started this before COVID-19 <laughs> interrupted. Um, the interaction, just bringing up the subject through empathy and letting them realize what that means to them, it's not about our voice. It's about the voice of what they're telling us because we don't really know what's going on in the schools. Until you ask the question, just like parents or teachers or educators, you have to ask the question so you get the response and you can be reactive to what's going on real time. Yeah. 
what went on 20 years ago when I started out as a law enforcement officer or what I know historically to be true because of what I've learned or what, you know, the programs present, it's nothing, it has nothing to do with the realities of when you're one-on-one -on -one with students in the classroom and they're telling you, well, this is what's happening. And then you ask them what that means. Yeah. It takes on a whole different direction. Yeah. So it's embracing really the relationships of what that means to them more so than it means to us. We promote the program, but it's only to elicit a relationships in the community and sustain something healthy for them to move on that helps them. And so that's what I've learned. You know, law enforcement, you always just like, give me the facts. Um, I don't necessarily need the facts with kids. I just need to listen and see what they're saying and reflect on that. Because no matter what we're teaching, we need to listen. Yeah. You know, because of all that's going on right now. You listen, but listen, you know, sort of, I'm, a, I'm very proactive. I'm not reactive. Yeah. So now we're kind of reactive because we're dealing with that in communities for various reasons. But our programs sort of engage students in a way that we can be proactive and meet their needs and not just the curriculum we're teaching. Yeah, I mean, it's right on the, you know, they, they highlighted it perfectly. Like, one of the, the main thing that we want to see is that we, we just see in our culture, in, in all over the United States, but even here locally, is there's just a, a breakdown of relationships. We, you know, we are relational people. We are relational beings. And, and part of what is attractive sometimes in, in, in the exploitation part of, of children especially is, usually what happens is, is there's some sort of breakdown in relationship in their life. And so they go seeking it somewhere yeah. else. They go looking for it a lot of times online because we're so well connected and it's easy to find that online. Love, acceptance, a, a listening ear, you know, a, a romance or whatever it is that, that our young people are, are seeking. They can find that 20 times a day, all day, every day. And and that, and there are people that understand that, and they exploit that, yeah. and they use that, and they and they groom and they manipulate. So the, our, everything that we do is basically saying this is this is a possibility, but it it really comes down to the, the, the relationships, the family unit, the the ability to have those open conversations and listen, and not come from a judgmental standpoint or not whatever, but just you're struggling. Okay, what does that look like? I want to be in relationship with you. I want you know. Sometimes we, we have to put the TV remote down. We have to put the computer down. We have to not work the overtime, whatever, so we can invest in our kids as parents mm -hmm. or, you know, as, as civic leaders or different things like that. We just, we just kind of have to return to this idea. And, and like they said, I empathize. It's this whole idea of empathy is, again, we have kind of lost the art of being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes, right? Yeah. We can sympathize. Social justice is a big thing. Everything that's going on in our world right now, but we there is a breakdown in our ability to figure out where people are coming from and to put yeah. ourselves in that position and just almost stop and shut up for just a, a minute and just, just think and reflect, Oh, okay. So that, that's where you're coming from in this. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, I empathize in a lot of what we do. It's just, we want to be a bridge. We hope unlimited doesn't want to be in a position. The anti-human traffic initiative doesn't want to be in a position to have that relationship with, with the young people in our community. But what we do is we want to be a bridge and a resource so that families and community leaders and pastors and all them can have the relationships and have the conversations, and we want to resource them. Right, right. And that kind of goes, speaks to um, similar of what the, the social media side and everything. We, we always read things from our filter, and we, sure. we get defensive, and we want to jump on, you know, well, I can disprove that because of X, Y, and Z. Instead right. of not hearing just these facts, quote unquote, but the... Where are they coming from? Why are they hurting this way? Uh, why are they, you know, why are they scared to talk to their parents about these right. things? You know, things like that where um, being able to empathize with, yeah, like you said, empathizing with the, with your kids and with these people and figuring out where they're coming from. Um, so. And, and even as going as far as if, if you can't put yourself, like, 
you, <laughs> there are things in my life I've experienced where like, I really, I can, I cannot quite understand what you're coming from. I, I can't, but I want you to know that I care for you. And, and if it's your know, relationship, I love you and I, and I want what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even if it's just, and we, and we learn this a lot on the chaplaincy side too. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just put an arm around somebody. Now it's a six foot distance arm around somebody. Uh, but, and just be there. Right. And mm-hmm. just be, and, and kind of just reassure them that you're there for them. And so that, that's really what Hope Unlimited as a whole is all about, is we just want to be there and offer hope to people. And, and hope is such a cliche word almost these days. It's almost kind of lost its meaning because everybody says, oh, we want to offer hope. We want to offer hope. But, and, 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 and not that that's a bad thing, but we, you know, that's really that's what we've been founded on for over 20 years is that we, we believe that we can have hope in desperate times and, and we want to walk, walk with people to do that. We want to help our community get to that. Right. Very cool. All right. Well, um, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Um, they're all Camino related. So, um, <laughs> Joel, I know you're that, not being out here very much. That, but... Well, I, I get out here quite a bit, so I'll see if I can help. All right. <laughs> um, feel free to throw in uh, other locations that are maybe from your area that uh, people can check out as well. But the first question is Do you have a lesser known or favorite location on Camino Island that you like to hang out? I, I no, not none of them are lesser known. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you know, there, there's, you know, the, the couple of state parks and different things out here. Are they, are they state parks technically? Look, yep. it shows how much I know. But, and then honestly, the commons here is just, it's just, I like coming here and grab a bite to eat, grab a coffee. They got chocolates. I mean, whatever. Unfortunately, it's, it's. I mean, well, fortunately, it's not lesser known, and maybe more people need to know about it. But it, that's that's what I like to do. Um, there, there is a, there is a, I guess one little lesser known. There is a really nice Airbnb that Linda's connected with that I really like. It's right on the water, and she's graciously allowed us to host Hope Unlimited meetings and stuff out there. So maybe that's, and it's beautiful, great view, and and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's probably the lesser known. Very cool. So, all right, Norma. Okay, I like the dog park. <laughs> <laughs> it's right across from our church where we go. Yeah. So it's really convenient for us. Yeah. And our dog loves to go there. <laughs> he just absolutely goes crazy. Oh, good. Yes. Very cool. All right, Linda? Someone told me that the goat trails are the best. And what does goat trail mean? It's those trails where no one else goes, but you find a delightful spot. And hopefully there's not someone with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would their first day look like here? Um, I, I can say this because I do this a lot for people uh, that, that are, you know, family or friends that have come to visit. Uh, we hop on motorcycles and we just go right around the island nice. and just take in the view, stop where we want to stop, go where we want to go. And uh, yeah, that's that's what it is for us. And and then you know, there is some there's a magic wall. You know, where I live in Arlington Oso area. And it was just like this today. There's a magic wall where the sun just opens up here. And so it's just a lot of fun to take people in the nice sunny weather and see the beautiful island. And you get views of the Olympics and the Cascades and just let the wind kind of, well, you have to wear a helmet. So the wind's not going through your hair, but it's going over your helmet. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so that's that's what a first day has looked like and would probably continue to look yeah. like for me. Very cool. Norma? Okay. Well, um, we've often taken people whale watching. Yeah. Yeah, so that's great fun. Yeah. But I have a great view from my house. Okay. (laughs) So I have been a homebody for about three months now, and it has been wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. And Linda? You know, to to experience Camino, you just need to start driving. And you once you start driving, you discover... Dozens of trails, eateries, galleries, vintage stores, and scenic spots, and views like through the state parks. Mm -hmm. And so if anyone, you know, I work at some local community events, and they say, can I have a map? I go, just get on there and keep driving. (laughs) Um, And you stop where you can. You experience culture by stopping at the -the out-of-the-way places and meeting people like we're doing today today. To just have conversation. Yeah. Very cool. 
All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Go ahead. <laughs> Joel? That's a, you're putting me on the spot here. Thankfully, this can get edited out. Um, <laughs> gosh, it lives on the island. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I think I've already seen because I've listened to it, like, you know, Chief Ian Goyne, our new, uh, our new uh, Camino Island Fire and Rescue Chief. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he would be one that would come to mind, but you already did it. Um, yeah, or people from this area as well. Oh, just it doesn't totally have to be just on oh, Camino, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah. If uh, someone else has one, they can go yeah, first. Yeah, say you okay. go first, and then, and then you can edit me back in. I'll think. Um, I'll, I'll suggest Mary Margaret Hogan. Yes. Very cool. She has done a lot in the state legislature. She's now retired from the legislature. But I think she would be a fascinating person to interview. Yeah. And she actually was very instrumental in helping my dad get yeah. the commons built. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, okay, we probably great. never would have got across the line without her help. Understood. So, wonderful. Yeah. Great. Um, and I think when you interview people, you interview people for different reasons, whether it's what they represent or where they live or who they know. All of those things are important. But I have a friend who's a retired Air Force colonel. Her name is Tracy Mack. She runs the local annual Veterans Dinner at Camino Chapel, which has grown from originally 25 people to over 280 people in the last four years. She's also a local author, a photographer, and she recruits and assists Washington State students to apply for the Air Force Academy and was a great female military leader of our country. And she's a Camino Island resident. Oh, very cool. All right. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. I thought I won. All right, go ahead. Only because I, I know this guy. He's one of, the, one of the people in Washington I've known the longest. Uh, your very own Jesse Childress that owns the Bait Cafe here. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he'd be, he's, he's just a hoot and a holler. Uh, I could tell you stories of when I did my internship up here in the Pacific Northwest. That's when I first met Jesse. And... And just, yeah, I mean, from, from a couple of young punks riding around on motorcycles uh, to, uh, to, yeah, now, you know, he's, he's right here in the commons, you yeah. know, has a, has a successful, uh, you know, business, a successful restaurant. And um, now I'm starting to get hungry, right? It's almost dinner time. We'll have, to, we'll have to go there and maybe eat afterwards. But, yeah, he, he would be one. Just he's, yeah, he's a fun guy. Yeah. So. Yeah, we actually, so I got to interview Jesse. Did you? Okay, see, I don't know down. anybody. But it was, it was really great because... Um, uh, first of all, I love the Bay Cafe and their yeah. burgers and working right above them. There's so many times my lunch gets left in the fridge and forgotten about. Oh, I, you're, um, you're better than me. I wouldn't even bring a lunch. I'd just be like, I'd bring a wallet and go, go downstairs. Um, but I got like his, he actually like, when he gets into something, he like really gets into it and studies it. Oh, absolutely. The history. So I got to learn all about like the first hamburger and why he decided to go with a smash burger concept in the first place. Yep. And, um, anyways, I had a great interview with him. Oh, good. Well, there you go. So uh, there, you, you, that was great. <laughs> you, everybody else, and yeah, ditto what the ladies said. Perfect. They're great. <laughs> good. All right. And the last question, uh, if you could have a message on a billboard on Camano Island, right as you're driving on the island, what would that say? Oh, that's a good one. For me, I would say, I know this is going to be kind of cheesy and generic, but I would say there is hope. Um, I, that's, that's just what I want a lot of people to hear in these yeah. days. Um, COVID, um, you know, our, our, the, the, the race relations issues that are, are in our nation and, you know, the fact, you know, one, one of the good things about this all coming up is it's, it's creating the conversation, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're having the conversation again. And my hope and prayer is, is that this, t this, let this be the, the difference maker this time. Let's not get back in old habits. Not let's just right. shove it under the rug, but let's embrace the process. But there's just so many people, you know, with, like we've talked about the social isolation, everything. It's just, I just want people to know that there is hope. Yeah. There is hope. And yeah. it's not just some cliche word or some wishful thinking, but there is, there is true hope out there. And right. to just hold on and hold fast and we'll get, we'll get to the other side <laughs> one way or another. Yep. Very good. I don't have something quite as deep, but <laughs> I was thinking rest and relaxation invented here. There you go. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, no, for sure. So I, I, I start out by saying that all lives are welcomed here. 
And that living on Camino Island is like being on a vacation every day. Yeah. Very cool. Well, guys, I thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Joel, Norma, and Linda for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash EP51. That's CaminoCommons.com slash EP51. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.